0: to get right into the word. If you'll turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6, we'll get there. Um, Let me do say something about this coming weekend, Friday night and Saturday, the 400 conference. Um, That is with the One Race Movement. We'd love to have as many of you as possible can come out to that. On Friday night, there's a service and on Saturday, there's services all day long and teachings. And so it's just us intersecting the conversation That the church needs to continue to have to allow us to be that one race representing Jesus here in this um, city and in this world. And um, there's over 200 churches that's been involved last year in August. We Remember we went up to Stone Mountain, over 20,000 of us at Stone Mountain last year celebrating one race, you know, one Jesus. It was awesome. And um, this year it's more of a conference, a little more intimate, a little more dialogue and teaching. And so we we'll am going to invite you to come out. Also on Saturday, they have invited us to um, bring some volunteers. And so if you'd like to serve that day, you know, there'd be no cost, etc. So you get to serve for, and be able to be there for free. And so if you'd like to serve, please let me know. And um, you can go with us and go down there and serve. And so I want to get into another thing this morning. Um, if we can, um, we're looking at the subject of more and so often when you hear a preacher say something about more, it, it, to me it sounds like I want to be in your pocket, right? Right? It's like, like that makes me nervous. Does that make you nervous? Be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so today is not a sermon about money. Everybody go, whew. Yeah. I let Pastor Brantley preach those sermons. Is he in here? He's so good at it. He really is. He's so good at it. um, But that's not what this is about today. Today is more about responsibility as firstborns. As those that God, through Jesus, has birthed into the kingdom, are we living like those firstborn? And um, I want us to stand to our feet. I know we go up and down here a lot, but uh, Chapter 6, verse 17, and again, it's not about money, it's about everything that we have. Amen? But it says this, As for the rich in this present age... Charge them not to be haughty. And most of us in this room look at each other like, well, good. This isn't applying to me, right? I'm not rich. I have nothing to worry about. It says, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything. Shout everything. Everything. That sounds like more, doesn't it? He richly provides us with everybody, Shout everything. Everything to enjoy. God has no problem with you enjoying stuff, right? He he just doesn't want stuff to control you. And when I say stuff, I'm not just talking about financial things. I'm saying time. I'm saying talent. All those things that make up our life. It says here that God wants us to enjoy those things. They are to do what? Yeah, you see that? They're to do good. To be rich in good works. To be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. And I'm going to throw back to last week. If you missed last week, we've been talking about heritage. We've been talking about this blessing that is bestowed from the Father upon sons and daughters. Amen? All the ladies say, yeah. Yeah. All right. On sons and daughters, this blessing that is bestowed, this heritage that passes to generation and generation. We saw that last week. And here it's saying there's a treasure that we store up, and it's a good foundation for the future. There's a heritage that is heavenly. Amen? There's a heritage that nothing can corrupt. There's a heritage that nothing can destroy. There's something we can do in the lives of other people that has an eternal quality to it. Man, doesn't that sound like a rich experience? Yes, it does. So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And when we realize what it looks like to grab a hold of those things in our life and lay them at the disposal of the Lord, and lay them at the disposal of doing good for others, lay them at the disposal of saying, God, I'll pick up the responsibility and move forward as you initiate me to, man, that's an enjoyable life. How many, how many enjoy seeing your children walk in their heritage? Anybody? Anybody? I love it. I love it. I'm not raising broke kids. I'm telling you right now, I love seeing my kids understand. And I'll just talk about money for a second. I love seeing them understand about money. I do. I love seeing that. You know? Yes, you can have a seat. I have people look at me going, are we gonna stand the whole time? I am. But when it comes to my children and that idea of heritage that's just one area but I do I love seeing them be responsible I love seeing them make good choices and and decisions and and such and and I mean it's neat you know as they come up you talk to them at different levels of responsibility Grant now is at that spot where he's starting to earn some some real money you know and 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 earning real money you got to have some real decisions right And so being able to help him understand responsibility and how, you know what, mom and daddy don't have a whole lot of discretionary spending in our house, right? Just, well, if I choose to pay that electric bill, it's okay or it's not okay. It's no big deal. They will turn the lights off. So I'm not going to have a 17-year-old young man living in my house with 100% discretionary spending. Come on, somebody. Amen. So I'm trying to figure out what bills is he going to pay. Ross, are you kidding me? No, I am serious. Amen. Amen. Because with right comes responsibility. And mom and daddy don't have 100% of our income that's discretionary spending. And so I'm not going to have a kid that has 100% that's discretionary spending. So what does that look like? Well, you give some, you save some, et cetera, you know. And so we're teaching into that. And, and it's been, it's, it's been, a, it's been, it's, it's fun teaching. But I'm proud of them because they're getting it. They're they're getting it, you know. And so (laughs) when it comes to the idea of lasting heritage, it's not about money, though. It's about word. It's about action. It's about character. And when I think about lasting heritage and who I am as a, a man and as a pastor, my mind can't think far from my daddy and from my pastor, Pastor Blair, you know. You all know Pastor Corey that led worship today. I worked for his dad for almost 11 years. And, and Corey's been with us eight years, amazing, you know, and, um, and, and, but that's a heritage we have, is, is pastor, is his life, and what he's so us young men, and Pastor Jared that's back here in the sound area, I think he's back, are you back there? Wave your beard, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's back there, you know, went to our Bible school in Ohio, I mean, like, there's a heritage that came, and a few weeks ago, I went home to celebrate my pastor's retirement, you know, and oh my word, this just got my mind thinking so much about heritage, about things passed on, things that, that are legacy um, um, leaving. And so we go back for pastor's retirement, and the whole weekend, it was kind of surreal, and it was very emotional for me. I'll, I know you don't believe that I'm emotional sometimes, and um, I have a big heart, <laughs> and it was just touching my heart. Now, the thing about it, last fall, I was given the opportunity to pray about going back. And taking the church, um, obviously there'd have to be a vote, but taking the church after pastor retired. And so last fall, I'm praying through that, and I really thought it would be a long, drawn-out time of prayer, you know, and fasting. And and that was on a Sunday night, and on Monday, Amy and I, in our devotional time, we prayed, and on Tuesday morning, in our devotional time, we prayed. And the Lord gave her a word for me, and it bore witness what God was speaking to my heart, and not... Maybe 20 minutes later, I show up here at church, and there was something that happened that day that Pastor Brantley spoke of, and it was just confirmation of what Amy and I had just heard from the Lord, and it was just a very easy decision. And so, no, this is where I'm supposed to be. I knew that, you know, last fall. It's just completely, and I don't think in my mind I, I, I was planning on ever going back. I really don't. But maybe, maybe, I don't know. You know, deep down, maybe the son had a thought that maybe go back and, 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 and take up that heritage, right? But last fall, it was just such a clear and simple word, and never gave it another thought, not one bit. So we go back for a retirement party, and I walk into the gym, and the first person to hug me is an old staff member of ours. And, um, and I hug her, and I start crying. She starts crying. And it just kind of set off an emotional thing the next few days to where, for me, I just I felt such closure, but it felt so final. Does that make sense? It was just like, we've really stepped out of the nest now been here 14 years that church helped us play at this church 14 years ago but that weekend I really felt like that like like you've really stepped out of the nationality so hugging people and and, um, and you know I told a bunch. I mean I'm so oh my gosh the pastor that they have found out in the Midwest has come to take the church absolutely phenomenal. He is the right man. He is the he I, I I'm so thankful for this pastor. I haven't met him personally, but man I'm loving listening to his sermons. And yes, us pastors we listen to other people's sermons too. And um, and he's feeding me all the way that far. You know I love it. Good hearted, pure hearted man. And so I know he's the right man. I know I wasn't the right man. And I had prayed through. But now this weekend, I'm hugging folks and, and just feeling this, this, this tension. And I couldn't really put my finger on what I was feeling, you know. And um, the Amy, her mom and dad were hippies. And they had come into that church as hippies. And had got saved when Amy was about four or five years old, you know. And, um, and so that, that's why Amy, her name is spelled so weird, you know. Because they were high, you know. <laughs> just... Just being honest, if if she would have they got us saved about four years earlier, we would have had an A-M-Y or an A-I-M-E-E, but we didn't. They were high. (laughs) But her mom and daddy got saved there. You know, this is the only second church my wife's ever been in. Isn't that crazy? She was in that church and then she was in this church. You know, so that was the church her family got saved in. I, I went to that church when I was 10 years old with the plumber I tell you guys about that was the greatest mentor of my youth. And I went to that church at 10 up to about 16 for a program called Royal Rangers on Wednesday nights. And men, commanders, served and sowed and poured into my life. And a and, and, and great part to do with men like Ron Hughes and Jack Hughes and, 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 and Mike Stents and these fellas that just poured. And man... James Browning, Jim Browning, I mean, just all these guys that poured. And so (laughs) one night in a service with us young people like that, I was in a room that we were doing the service in. We had communion, and they asked for prayer for those that wanted to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And at 13 years old, the power of God touched me in a significant way, and I've never been the same, you know, in that church, in that building. Amy and I, we stood at that altar in 1994 and committed our love to each other and our lives to each other in marriage 25 years ago. And that's where we committed our lives in marriage, and then three and a half months later, we committed our lives to ministry there. And so we began to pastor there full-time, and was on the staff there, like I said, about 10 and a half years. And so with that opportunity to serve, when that opportunity came last fall to pray, it was it was one of those decisions I had to pray through, but it brought confirmation to me that I was right where I was supposed to be, but now let's fast forward, nine months. So this, this, is, this is just like about a month and a half ago, we go back for this event. And I had not given it a second thought. It had not come to my mind at all that I made a wrong decision. I I just complete satisfaction in the decision I had made. But we stepped into that gym. And like I said, at that party, the hugs began. And with every hug, the finality of that chapter of my life, it was over. And over the weekend, it just felt heavier. And it just felt heavier. And I didn't know why. I just knew it felt heavy, and I couldn't put my finger on it. Because I know I don't want to go back there and pastor. They're great people. The facility, oh, my God gosh, I mean, I don't even know now, probably a, probably 120,000 square feet, 100,000, square, it's a big facility, you know, everything that you would have to build is already built, that'd be a whole lot easier to do, amen, let's just walk in and start filling it, we're still in the building stage, aren't we, you know, and so all those kinds of things, but I just never felt that, but all weekend long, I got heavier and heavier of heart, and I'm going somewhere with this, I don't want us to miss this, okay, and, and, and so it was just difficult, you know, on Sunday, Pastor, while finishing his final sermon, he began to name people one last time from the pulpit. But he said, I want to share these names because these are people that had a lasting impression on this house and on our lives. And as the pastor leaving after he was there 27 years, I think, 28 years, after, as the pastor leaving after that long, the new person coming in, he says, the new pastor, he'll know your stories, he'll learn your stories, but he's not going to know those stories coming in. And man, when he said that, it just perked my eyes up, you know. I remember the last time Amy and I did ministry at that church was for a senior saint event where I had my guitar and we just sang old hymns for the older families in the church and I remember having to go to a bathroom and just ball my eyes out because I knew a lot of those people I'd never since passed and um and so he starts naming these names, and these are mentors of ours. These are pastors, some pastors of the church that had retired and had stayed, some, some pastors that had retired in the Assemblies of God and had come there just to, to, to live out the rest of their lives around people that would love them. And, 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 and half the books on my, on all my old theological books are from those pastors. You know, you go down there and you'll see, you know, Alfred Tedeschi's name in those books, and you'll see the Jensen's names in those books. And I know those names don't mean anything to you, But as pastor began to say those things, I just was, I was tore up. I was messed up, you know. Started thinking about old stories and, you know, Brother Tedeschi, this old man so close to God, had a prophetic word for my father-in-law when he was a little guy, a young man, and it's like late 20s and and out of work. And he said, Larry, you go down to the square, there's going to be a man there, he's going to give you a job, just go down to the square and God will work out the rest. He walks down to the square and there was a man working on the gazebo at the time named Jim Lookaball. And my father just started talking to him. Jim gave my father-in-law a job in the the construction industry, and they worked together for 40, 50, like for a long time till my father-in-law was the big contractor, and and Jim was the older guy that worked for him. Jim wasn't a believer until about a decade and a half ago to watch him come to Jesus after all those years, you know. But that prophetic word came forth from that old guy. We knew he was close to Jesus. We thought he was so close to Jesus that he would know when he was going to die. We did. He called Pastor and I in one time. And he said, come, I think I'm, I'm, I'm passing. And we get there. The door's open. And he's laying there on his bed. Pastor and I looked at each other like, oh, my gosh, he did it. <laughs> Pastor gets on one side. I get on the other. Brother, Brother Tedeschi. And he's an old Italian man. And all of a sudden, he's like, well, I don't think it's going to happen today. Too good. <laughs> I got to bury him. Pastor was gone for a month, you know, on a on a a, a sabbatical or a break, and I got to bury that pastor. And they're all Italians. I had to wait till they threw all the dirt in, every bit of dirt in. We we sat there until the dump. I mean, the bulldozer. I've never been to a funeral like that before. We waited till it was completely mounded up, and then we left. You know, kind of old world custom, I guess. And uh, but that that man, man, I tell you that. So he's going through all these names, and it's just. It's just tearing me up, you know. The more that he, he would speak, the more I'm thinking that if I was to come back here, I could have carried that heritage one more generation. Because I was touched by those people when they were alive, many of the ones he spoke. I could have carried it one more generation is what I was thinking. And, but here's the thing about it. I was moved because I felt in the moment of sentimentality that the next pastor doesn't know these stories and he hasn't walked with these people. And I mourned a great story because I love a great story, Amen. And I mourned a great story, but being sentimental and holding on to a good story isn't a calling. And I knew that. But that's what was going on in my heart all weekend. Was there such a rich heritage in that house? Well, yeah, they were founded in 1927. Yes, there's going to be a rich heritage in the house. There's a rich heritage because generation after generation had lived to serve others and sow into young people and make a difference in lives and, and, and give sacrificially. I mean, I remember stories of, of the board members before Pastor Blair came, having to write bills with their own checkbooks to cover the cost of the church while, while rain dripped through the ceiling of this big, big building, but it had gone down to about 160 people when Pastor came to it. You know, Huge, huge, huge church, but oh my gosh, the heritage, the impact that they've had. And so the weekend ends, and we travel back on Monday, and on Tuesday, I get back in the office, and I come, and I sit right here on the stage, and I'm in prayer by myself, and I'm looking at our, 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 I'll just kind of say, our little sanctuary. You know, 250 seats is not a little sanctuary in America, but I mean, that's just, you know, I mean, I, I just came from the building, balcony, you know. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm just like, Lord, thank you. This is the house you've me to serve. And I know we have a lot of building. I know we've got a lot to do in the future, and it's going to weigh on us. But, God, thank you. I appreciate it. Lord, I know you're going to get us through this. And I'm, but I'm, I'm, you can tell that I'm, I'm, I'm in, I'm, I don't even call it morning. I'm just in that weird headspace. Everybody get in a weird headspace? Wives, do your husbands ever get in a weird headspace? Okay. <laughs> so Pastor Brantley comes in, and he sits right here, and he goes, You okay, coach? You know? And I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. I'm just kind of in a weird head space. And I didn't tell him all that story because I didn't quite know it yet. I didn't quite understand everything that was going on yet in my heart. And um, I just knew I felt like, I just felt weird, you know. And then Pastor Stephanie comes in. It's her first day back from having the baby. And have you seen Annabelle? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. It's her first day back from having the baby, and her first full day in the office, and so she comes up, and I stand to greet her, because that's what we do, right, in the South. Amen? Supposed to do that. And so I stand to greet her, and I went up to give her a hug, and when I did, when I got my arms around her, my heart just, like, melted, and I held on to her, and, and you could tell, it was like, oh, oh, okay, Pastor. <laughs> I couldn't let go, and I just started crying, and I said, Stephanie, honey, and it's just out of my heart, I just said, Stephanie, honey, you're our heritage. I walked over to Bradley and I hugged him, and I said, "Bradley, you're our heritage, and they don't know all that's going on in my heart up to that point, so they're like, you're weird. <laughs> I kind of filled him in a little bit, what I think the Lord was showing me, you know, and I go down to my office for the first time and sit down at my desk that, you know, I hadn't been down the office yet, and sitting on the desk is a card, says Pastor Ross on it, and I open it up. And while I was gone that weekend on vacation and going back to my pastor's retirement, when I was gone that weekend, um, a family had come that don't come here. They had moved. But a decade ago, we had buried their son. And, and um, he was a part of our youth group. He was in a wheelchair in our teens. They, they did not let up on that boy. They loved him, they included him in everything. If a, a kid in a wheelchair can be in a dodgeball game, he was, you know. It's not fair. Easy to hit, you know. But he loved it. That's, that, that's the, how the youth group treated him. And, and, and he passed away, and um, we buried him. And, and, um, and I remember they gave a, a, a large sum at the time because we were getting ready to get the other building that we were going in. And they gave a memorial gift, you know, as we were going into that building. And um, long story short, there in that check, it just was thanking us as a church and on the 10th anniversary of his passing. And in that, that card was a check for $5,000 that they wanted to bless the house in memory of their boy isn't that amazing I bawled like a baby as I sat there thinking that's our heritage you know not that money but that connection with that young man we'll see him in heaven someday we'll be able to say hey you helped us build a couple buildings yes you did that's our heritage later that afternoon pastor Rick Boudry are you here pastor he might be in the next service Pastor Rick Boudry and Sally—they're retired ministers. Pastor A.G. pastors. someone has got pastors from Michigan. They moved down here, and they've been with us a couple years now. And um, he gets on the phone about something that afternoon. The first thing in my mouth, "Hey, Pastor Rick, you're our heritage." Okay. <laughs> didn't exactly know what was going on. He didn't, but you're our heritage. You know, because we get to love on him in his retirement, and I pray he lives thirty more years. You know, I do. But we get to love on that man and sow into him and his wife and their retirement. What a blessing. What a heritage. Yeah, we weren't founded in 1927. But in 2006, this church got started. And we're going to have a heritage if we'll act like the firstborn. If we'll take responsibility in all things, serving, giving, loving, taking care of each other in this house. Not just using this like a parking lot that you park your car, run in, watch it on the screen, hear the preaching. Usually really good preaching, you know. <laughs> i'm not even worried about preaching good today you know and and then go back to your car and leave no no but mindful about pouring in and watching out for each other and taking care of each other and being a family of god and 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 jerking some kid don't jerk your own anybody's kid that's a different generation i know but i was glad some of them parents jerked me up i'm telling you back when i was a young guy at that church you know some of those kids remember that though when you treat and you sew in and you can you imagine some of them will be your pastor someday is that neat? Can you imagine Gabriel Johnson being your pastor someday? Man, can you imagine Mac Wiseman? Let's not go down that path. No. Being one of our pastors someday, who knows? Ah. Hmm. That night, that night we had our board meeting. And at the end of the board was Chris Townsend at the end of the board table. Chris came here the first time when he was a teenager. Now he's sitting there on the board. I looked at him and said, Chris... You're our heritage, you know? And, and when I look at people here, I, I, I know I talked about Eddie last week, but years ago, Eddie, Eddie was out of work. at and had given him that early retirement kind of thing. Is that what they call that? <laughs> 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 and, um, and we were building our old building now. And so his days were free, and he just used them every day to build in the building, hang drywall, run wires, you know? That's a heritage, you know? I mean, and I could look at every single person in this room and begin to point out your heritage, your story of how it's impacted lives and how it's going to impact futures of people. And so um, I, I know I need to get back to preaching here. So but let me just say, like I said, Mansfield First was never bigger than about 1,000 people on a Sunday morning. You know, where are we at? We're, we've averaged about 420, I think it was, um, from January to now on a Sunday morning. That's our average. So, you know, it's, it's, it's becoming a nice mid-sized church. It It is. It's an awesome-sized church, but I don't care about the numbers. I want our heritage to increase. Amen? Because we can, we, can, we can grow to 1,000 people and maybe not have a heritage. Does that make sense? We really can. We could grow down to 200 people and have an incredible heritage. That's possible. I don't want that to happen. I don't. I don't. I'm just saying, I think that idea of heritage is so important. 1 Timothy 6.18, they are to do good to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future and holding on to that which is true life, truly life. These were people... That I grew up pastors and mission heritage, and countless thousands have been impacted because of them. Pastors and missionaries and business owners in the town that, that I, I go back home and I see these guys that I was in school with. And now they're the mentors of people. And, and it's, just, it's just a beautiful thing about a church that has those decades of history. Amen. I honor First Baptist Church in this city. Amen. I honor Pastor Johnny Hunt in this city. I know that he has stepped away to do things at the Missions Board, but man, I thank God for a ministry of decades like that, you know, and the fruit that they have. Amen? And so, with a heritage, a few definitions property that descends to an heir, that's part of a heritage. Something transmitted by or acquired from a predecessor, that's a heritage. Along the lines of what we were preaching on last week and what I'm going to finish up with this week, something possessed as a result of one's natural situation or birth, that's a heritage. That's a heritage. That birthright. And so last week we saw the birthright of the firstborn, how important it is. In Deuteronomy 21, 17, that father must acknowledge the son as the firstborn by giving him a double share of all he has. And that son is the first sign of his father's strength. The right of the firstborn belongs to him, and we learned last week that that firstborn son gets a double portion. Shout, double portion. double portion! Yeah, he gets twice. He gets a double portion, but that's not entitlement. That's not for him. Amy and I were talking about this in our devotional time this week, and like she said that too. She said, "I always thought, well, look at that. They get so much. Look how entitled they are." You know? No, it's for responsibility. It was the firstborn son's responsibility to take care of the family in the father's stead. That's why he got the double portion other than his his siblings, amen? And that's why Esau, he didn't want that responsibility. I want my soup now. I want something immediate now. I don't want the birthright. And that is the church at large so often that we we want instant gratification, not delayed gratification. And I'm thankful there were some men in my life at that other church that when I was a kid, and men that, that, that I called Commander, you know, Commander Ron, Commander Jack. And about a decade and a half later, they called me pastor. With, with love and honor. I never demanded that. You could see the pride well up in them when they would say, Pastor Ross. Because they knew that who I was was partly because of the heritage they birthed. Amen? Amen. And so I believe God wants more for us. I told you that. 2019, a year of more, more of God, more for God, more from God. But what is the more for? With a right comes a responsibility. And yes, God wants to pour into us, and he's poured into every one of us. But if we're blessed, that means that we have more than we need for ourselves. And if we're blessed with things, we pass on those things. Whether that's wisdom. I told you last week, you have knowledge, understanding, money, time, talent, I told you last week, you have a good marriage and God's brought you through some stuff in your marriage. Don't just go enjoy y'all's marriage. Look for a couple struggling and invite them out for lunch and start spending time and allow not some mentoring I'm going to teach you. No, just the pouring of life naturally into another couple and watch God use that as a heritage of help in those people's lives, that mindset to be able to walk in the anointing of the firstborn, both in right and responsibility, and waking up every day saying, I refuse to live like the secondborn. I'm going to live with a double portion. I'm going to live in such a way that you're going to pour in me and through me. I'm not going to live for myself. I'm going to live for others. Luke 12, 48 says it this way, to whom much was given, much is required. And if that's the case, Lord, man, I'm rich in this present age. And so I'm going to charge myself not to be haughty. I'm not going to set my hopes on the uncertainties of my riches, whether that's riches of time, whether that's riches of substance or finances, but I'm going to put it on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. i want to do good. I want to do good works. I want to be generous. I want to share. Amen? Andy Stanley, he wrote a book. Love Andy Stanley. And he wrote a book called How to Be Rich. How, how, has anybody ever seen that book? Okay, No? Go look at it. His premise was this. More people are more rich than they realize, and most people are not good at being rich. Yeah, think about that. You know, people win a big, huge inheritance, or they win the lottery. I think they say the average lottery winner within three years is pretty much broke. Why? People aren't good at being rich rich and so he wrote this book talking about what is what does it mean to be rich how how much money does it take to be rich and and I like this the Gallup poll did a study across America what amount would make a person be considered rich in their annual household income what was the amount you want to know 150,000 dollars and a lot of people are like, man, that's awesome. I can't imagine that in our family income. Other people are like, really? That's not that rich because at $150,000, do you realize, pastor, how much college debt I owe and I'm paying back? Yes, I make that, but do you realize, you know? So they, they, they fine-tuned that, Gallup did, and they asked people who made a combined income in the home of $30,000 to $35,000 a year, and they asked them, so for you, what would you consider to be rich? And guess what they said? $75,000. And there's people in the room going, $75,000 combined income for the household? That's not rich. But there's some folk going, oh my word, what could I do if I had $75,000, right? Then they went to Money Magazine, which I think is funny. There is a magazine. This is a magazine for people. Money. I don't have this magazine. I think this is a magazine for people that have money, right? But they asked in that magazine, those people, what would you say being rich is? What would you say? And they said it's a person who has liquid assets that total $5 million. Well, yeah, I would think so. But guess what? People went to them and asked, so are you rich? This is the person that says this. Yes, $5 million. Are you rich? No, no, I'm not rich. So the truth of the matter is nobody is rich but everybody knows somebody who is. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Because when it comes down to it, really, to be honest, I think, I think that forty-four dollars to $45,000 a year combined household income, if you're in that range, let's just say $45,000, in that combined household income, you are in the top 1% of the wealthiest people of the whole world. Okay? And I know Pastor Brantley did a great sermon a few weeks ago on that. And like, yes, but we live here. I, you know, and, I, and I get that. I'm not, I'm not discounting that. I'm just saying when it comes to this idea of being rich, we're all rich in some ways. If not money with other things that we have, other resources. Listen, there was a bunch of you this morning. You went to a room that holds your clothes. Right? I'm just being like, this is a room. I don't care if it was this big and that wide. It was a room that holds your clothes. Was there a door on it? Yes, it's a room that holds your clothes. You opened the room that holds your clothes, and you looked in, and you went, I don't have a thing to wear. Yeah. We're rich, aren't we? Yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. We're rich. We have so much that's come upon us. And, and so with that, you have those rich people problems, you know? The internet is running slow on the plane that you're flying. Oh, my gosh. You know? one of your cars in the family is broke down right now one of your cars you know yeah I mean on a whole across the world we are rich and if I was to ask you though how many of you are rich in here nobody would raise their hand right I don't think you know we could try how many are rich in here no I'm teasing we're like amen but for the most part but if I ask this how many are blessed in here yeah yeah and so out of that blessing is what God wants us to pour. You know, I think of Anthony and Kim here. These guys have a garden like you can't imagine, and they sow seed in the ground. The Bible says that God gives seed to the sower. And so they sow seed in the ground, and they have a harvest that they can't contain. They have so much. They love to sow. They love to sow. And it comes out, and it comes out, and they give to people. They give to friends. They give to people in need, and they're just always giving that away. They give it out, not let it die, because they understand that, 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 that when it comes in, you have a responsibility to give it out, not let it dry up and waste on the vine. Amen? God doesn't want us, though, when we hear this, listen, God doesn't want us guilty. God wants us responsible. And if you're going through life guilty all the time, you know, guilty, 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 you may not be living like the firstborn. Amen? Amen? Find some firstborn activities. Find some responsible activities. Some things that you're sowing into the kingdom You know, with your time. Help some of these kids. Do something. Serve in kids' ministry. Serve with the youth. Run a small group. Whatever it is, you know. It doesn't have to be on the four, in the four walls of this church. Go do something. But pour out. There's a responsibility. Don't feel guilty. That double portion comes. And if God gives us more, we learned last week, it's so that we can do more. The ultimate purpose of our lives is to make a difference and to extend the heritage of the Father out beyond us. Again, he must acknowledge the Son, the Father must, Deuteronomy 21, 17, as the firstborn by giving him a double share of all he has. That Son is the first sign of his Father's strength. Do you hear that? So when we have that double portion, that portion upon us begins to be a sign of the Father's strength. The strength of the father needs to be seen through his church. And I just got to thinking about that. As I started to think about who my father is, guess what? My father is a provider. Amen? So if my father is a provider, guess what? As a son walking in firstborn anointing, I should be. I should be generous. Amen? When I think about who my father is, my father, he is a God of peace. And so if he's a God of peace and I come into conflict with another person, then if I'm going to walk in the inheritance of the Father in the double portion in the firstborn anointing, then I've got to say I want the strength of the Father who is God of peace to be seen. So I've got to be a person that reconciles, not holds grudges, not gets ugly. Do you see how important this is? I, I mean, I'm serious. I feel like I could preach about a month or two months on this idea of the firstborn anointing when we begin to embrace that. We begin to embrace that responsibility. Not just the right. Gimme, gimme, gimme. No, 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 no. What's the responsibility that we're moving in? God is a God that is powerful and fully able. And so if God is a God that's powerful and fully able, when it comes to me being an an anointed firstborn son and there's sins I'm struggling with, you know what? I'm not going to take those things and make excuses for them. I'm going to say I want the strength of the Father to be seen as he conquers this this addiction in my life. Amen? Amen. As he conquers the thing of my life that is contrary to the word of God. I'm not going to settle for for less. If God is the omniscient God and he's all-knowing, then guess what? As a firstborn son, I'm going to stop being so short-sighted. Amen? Making choices in the immediate moment, like Esau. No, no, he's all-knowing. I don't have to be short-sighted. I can take time and, and pray through and fast and seek counsel and make good decisions. I don't have to sell myself short. You know what a short sell is, right? It's a transaction that happens when you take something less for something of greater value. But you're taking less. And I believe we make transactions every day with our lives for lesser things. Our bowls of soup, if you will. And God is saying, don't be content. You're the firstborn. Rise up in that double portion. Rise up in that anointing. And make transactions that are of value, equal value for your life. Don't sell yourself short. God is a God that's all-knowing. Stop being short-sighted. Amen? The Father, He wants to pour more into His children. But for what? I'll close with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. You see the strength of the Father being seen? He's going to pour into us for us to be generous in every way. And then he receives the thanks. The Father's strength is seen. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Thanksgivings to God. Um, um, When it comes to that, that that touch of the Father on your life, that touch of the divine on your life, and I believe that's what God wants us to walk in, not an entitlement as a firstborn, but an investment. God, you poured in, and I will invest into others, and I want that to be a filter for my decisions as I go into the future. I want that to be that filter as I move forward. Is this a firstborn kind of a decision, or am I acting entitled? Is this a firstborn kind of a decision where I'm going to walk in abundance and move in abundance, or am I going to have scarcity thinking in my mind? Well, I just don't have enough time to serve. I just don't have enough time to do. I just don't have enough money to give. I just don't have scarcity thinking. It's not abundant thinking. I remember God Shows himself as an abundant God. Amen? Hmm. So the blessing of the firstborn, I think so often in Scripture, you'll see it relinquished and passed on to the secondborn. I can go through a whole lot with that. I'm not going to deal with that today. But I want to relinquish that anointing. God, let your firstborn anointing be upon me. That double portion. As you give more, I'll do more. As you pour, I'll pour. And again, don't feel guilty. Just... Be responsible for the things that God has called you to be responsible for. I'm going to give you two opportunities to do that this week. One is in prayer. Be praying for the next month. It's an incredible month for people to be in this house. As we go into August, people get done with summer. They're going to come back to church. I'm telling you next week, get here early. to Get a seat. That's how it always is, okay? And um, But as you come, the second thing, be praying. But number two, invite somebody. I'm telling you right now, there is no greater joy that you'll have when, than when you have a friend at church with you, you know. You're sitting there at church, and it's like, oh, I can see him getting touched by God. You know, and he gets to the end of the day, and the pastor says, bow your heads and pray. If there's anybody here that wants to come to Jesus, raise your hand. And I, and I always say, close your eyes. And you know you're not closing your eyes. You're like, it's exciting. You brought a friend to church. You'll be glad when you do that there's people greeting. You'll be glad when you do that there's people serving those children. There's people greeting out in the parking lot. We, I mean, I'm not saying this, that we need help everywhere because we don't have enough. We got a lot of help. But man, we could double up. We could have a place that's on fire that when people show up, man, those people want to care about you. Those people, they, mean, they, they're watching out for you. They're pouring out from a double portion. That's what my heart's desire is for this house. And I believe as we do that, as we serve in different areas, as we live our lives in a way that we embrace that double portion with right and responsibility. And Jesus is going to be seen. Amen? And a heritage is going to come from this house. And you know what? I probably won't live to see that. Should the Lord tarry? You know, 40 years from now, 50 years from now, they'll be telling stories about when Susan Duncan went into those preschool kids and loved on them, put them on her knee. Susan didn't have to go do do, um, I'll just brag on you. Didn't have to go do um, um 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 what is that called tutoring, you know? But a family in the church had some needs, and she went, and that turned into ministry. Begin to pray and go through some of the counseling with the family and helping them. And why? Because she's going to pour it out. And there'll be a, a person thirty years from now. Remember Susan Duncan? And she would say, "Remember nothing. I'm right here. What you talking about?" <laughs> Amen. Amen. Mm. And I could talk about all y'all. There's so many here that's just given us a heritage. And so with that, invite people. Out at the kiosk here in this foyer, the little foyer, there's invite cards. Grab some invite cards. Get people in the house. Use the social media stuff that goes out today, this week. Invite people on Facebook. Amen. And just know, man, it's the end of summer. And as the end of summer. It's time for us to get back in here and reach people for Jesus. Amen. I do want to do one thing before I end. Do we have teachers in this room today? I know we have a lot of teachers in our church, but in this service, are there any teachers here today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, back here, back here. and um, All right, let's pray for our teachers. Can we just stretch our hands this way? Father, in the name of Jesus, you see these teachers. Thank you for their sacrifice. Thank you that as Christian teachers, I know all teachers have a heart to sow, but Lord, they see it from a different perspective. Lord, as they sow, they're sowing naturally, but they know there's some spiritual things that's happening in those kids' life. Allow, even without a word said, allow people to see Jesus so full and free in them that will give them a taste for the things of you, God, I pray. Father, we also want to lift up every student that we have, all our children here at Momentum Church, as they go into the schools, their home schools, whatever programs that they have. Lord, our college students, Lord, our stud- students are going to, to study for their masters and their doctors at the time, God, would you equip them and strengthen them, give them wisdom that's not their own, and energy that's not their own. Lord, God, allow them to create revival in the schools that they're a part of. In Jesus' name, amen. Give God some praise thanks for joining us for this episode of fuel for the journey for more information please check out www.momentumchurch.tv